So my name is Sean Renzel, and I'm the pastor here at White Flag Calvary. And uh, so if it's your first time, I'm, I'm happy to meet you. Uh, we have so many great leaders and servants here, and a lot of them wear the name badges. Some of them don't have them, but anyone here is here to serve you. So if you're here and you're sitting down, we want to serve you in any way that we can. And so just, just let us know. If, we, if it's just pray for me, fine, we'll just pray for you. Or if you want to get together, I would love to get together with you and just uh, serve you in any way I can, okay? All right. Bibles. We are here because we believe in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible and you'd like us to get you a Bible, we will get you one right now. So put your hand up, and I have faithful guys who are going to get you. Anyone need a Bible? You'll want one. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. You can have it as our gift. It's free, so take it. All right, so everyone's got your Bible. You're all good to go. All right, because we're going to look at a bunch of verses today. But for your convenience, I do, we will have them up on the screen so you can read them along with us. And um, there we go. I'm really glad that you guys came out today because you're kind of trapped in here now. <laughs> I could do anything. I could do a circus. I could do tricks, magic show. Who knows? I could do, you, you, just, you don't even know what I got planned or what I got in store. But really, it's, it's an honor for me to have you uh, commit just these, these minutes uh, for me. I promise I'm gonna, I, I've done my best to prepare something for you guys uh, to impact you with the Word of God, uh, but I can't do anything about your heart. You know, that's between you and God. And so um, I appreciate the fact that you've come in and that you've given me just these few moments of your time, and really you haven't given it to me. Because um, I don't know if I would choose me as the one person to talk to you for 45 minutes in this world. But you've given it to the Lord and his word. And I pray that he's going to speak to us. So right now, let's just pray and ask that that would be the truth and the reality in this place. Jesus, uh, this is your word that we're going to look at. This is your day, Lord, where all the world seems to celebrate and remember that you're resurrected from the dead, Lord God. But... I don't know how many of them actually stop to think about what that means. Lord, I know many believers, Lord, will um, gather today and, and say words like resurrection and words like life and life after death. But Lord, I, I don't know how many of them believe it in their heart, that it's a reality that is true for them. And God, I pray for every single soul and heart in this room, God, that it would be so much more real than even this room that we're sitting in. Lord, the truth and the, the power that is demonstrated this day that we celebrate, God, it would be life-changing for us. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. All right, well, we are here today because 1,981 years ago, and 11 days, one man broke, the rule, broke all the rules, give or take a couple of days. We think that's the day. We can debate that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, okay? Because 1,981 years and 13 days ago, Jesus of Nazareth was killed, tortured, and nailed to a, a wooden cross. He claimed to be divinity, to be God. He claimed to be the only one who, the only way that people could get saved, the only one that could bring people into heaven. That's what he claimed. He claimed to know everything and he claimed to have power over everything. 
He came in peace and love, yet he was rejected. He was taken by mere men and he was beaten and mocked and nailed to the most brutal torture device ever devised. And as he died, he yelled out, he cried at the top of his lungs with all the strength he had left, It is finished. It is finished. It's over. And everyone who was watching him at that time agreed, whether they were in the group that wanted him dead because they believed he was a rebel, or they were in that group that truly believed he was the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself come down to save us. They all agreed it was finished because he was dead. That pretty much ends it right there. No more rebellion against the authority of the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders of that day. No more people getting excited about all the things that might finally change in their country. No more awesome sermons with a free meal included. No more comforting words for sinners that high society looked down upon. And no more promises. No more of those promises. In fact, it looked like all the things he ever promised were lies. Because no one comes back from the dead. And Jesus was dead. There's no doubt about that. But no one was quite like Jesus, were they? No one ever spoke the way that he did. No one ever did the miracles that he did. No one ever had the spirit descend like a dove upon him like he did. No one ever had a voice call from heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased like he did. No one ever loved like he did, cared for every single human being he encountered like he did. No one ever spoke the truth like he did. And no one ever broke the rules like he did. Because no one ever said, I'm going to rise again from the dead. You're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again on the third day, just like he did. And then he did it. So look with me at the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. And as you, as you turn in there, go to Matthew chapter 12. Or we will put it up here. If, if you don't find it in, in two minutes, give up hope. You're not going to find it. Just look at the screen. But I think maybe some of you are skilled. You can look at the concordance. Whatever. You guys will find it. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 38. Said, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want a sign from you. Just pause right there for one second. These scribes and Pharisees were the people who supposedly knew the way to heaven, the people who supposedly knew God and were teaching the other people. And Jesus came along the scene and was like, You guys don't know God. You have no no idea what you're talking about. And so I'm going to tell you about God. And they didn't like that very much. So they come and they say, you're claiming all these wild things, Jesus. You say all these great things. You do all these incredible things. But we don't believe. So, give us an infallible proof that you are God. 
that you are who you say you are, because he claimed to be God. No question about it. He claimed to be God. Divinity. Look at verse 39. It says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the was uh, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus, knowing he's talking to these guys who knew the Bible, the Old Testament at the time, he says, "Have you guys ever read that read that prophet Jonah? That's the sign that I'm going to give you." He references that that book, and because everyone knew it. And, and we all know the story. Well, you may know the story. If you don't, I'll summarize for you real quick. This rebellious prophet, the servant of God, was running away from God. And God, so he got in this, uh, this uh, ship, and the ship was on the waters. And, and he's going the opposite way of where God wanted him to go. And so God brought a great storm into his life. And so the sailors who were with him threw him overboard in the ocean. And God sent a whale to swallow him and take him to the place he was supposed to be. And the whale threw him up on the beach. And here we have Jesus calling his shot. Eight ball corner pocket. Or if you like basketball, bank shot for three for the win. He's calling his shot. People think Babe Ruth was awesome because in 1932 he, he pointed to the right, right field and then he hit a home run that next pitch right in the right field to win the game. Like, he, and everyone's like, he called his shot. It's so manly. Such a cool thing to do. But Jesus takes this to a whole new level. He says, if you want a sign that I am who I say I am, how about I break the one rule that nobody can break? How about I die and then come back to life? Think of the most unbreakable rules in the world. You know, I think of gravity. You know, as hard as you guys jump, I don't think you're breaking gravity. You're overcoming it for a second and then you're right back where you started. You know, but... Man has devised ways of overcoming gravity. Going to the moon and such, and going up into outer space. So even gravity in all its strength can be overcome with the right amount and the right kind of power. But nobody can overcome death. You see, death rates in this world are still hovering around the 100% range. Jesus says it in another way in John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, he wasn't talking about the temple that was there in Jerusalem where he was standing in front of. No, he was pointing at his own body saying, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up. So Jesus claims that he knows that they will kill him and that he will rise from the dead. And if that's not clear enough for us, check out what these other three verses from Matthew, Mark, and Luke have to say. In Matthew 20, verse 19, it says, 
Jesus is talking, they will deliver him, speaking of himself, to the Gentiles, and they will mock and scourge him and crucify. And on the third day, he will rise again. In Mark, he says, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. And in Luke, it says, they will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. Are you getting the point? Jesus knew that this was going to happen, and he called his shot. This is not just a casual passing comment from Jesus that could be misinterpreted. This is, something, this is not something we're just guessing about. This is Jesus claiming undeniably that he is going to die and rise from the dead three days later. Even the government knew about his words. Even the people who were ruling the city and the country, that's why they put a full Roman guard at the tomb because they, they were worried about someone stealing his body and saying, see, look, he told the truth. It's funny because... What they should have been worried about was that he was telling the truth. That he would keep his promise and on the third day he would rise. And I suggest to you today that because he broke this rule, this rule that all people die, because he broke that rule, because he rose from the dead, which we celebrate today on Easter, and because he kept that promise that we just read all those different times he promised it, we, you and I, can believe every other promise that he made as well. In fact, not only can we believe, we must believe. Look at this this promise first. In John chapter 4, he said that he promised to satisfy the longing in our hearts. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, this woman at the well, He said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but who drinks, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will be a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This promise that the world will try to satisfy you. But... The everlasting truth is that nothing in this world can fill the hole in your heart. The longing in your soul for God that God himself put there. His gift to all men is actually this longing. See, he didn't make you just totally fine. He made you with a lack, a need deep in your soul, in your heart. Kind of like me. When I was born, I had, nobody knew this, but I had a hole in my heart. And when I was two years old, I went to Waterworld. My, well, my parents took me to Waterworld, and, and they tell me that I turned blue. And they're like, that's not right. <laughs> so they said, we should go get that checked out. So they took me, and the doctor said, oh, he has a, a, a heart murmur, a hole in his heart. So they took me, and I had open-heart surgery. Whole deal. And they, they sewed me up, and it was a hole, they said, the size of a nickel, in a, in a baby's heart. I was just two, you know. And so I'm a living picture of this verse. I like that. I, I have the best illustration ever for this verse. I had a hole in my heart, just like every human being. And God gives us this gift to keep us searching for the meaning. Keep us for searching for deeper fulfillment. 
And that's why nothing completely satisfies. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much fame or relationship, guys and girls, all the things that this world is shoving in our face, saying, this is what will make you happy, this is what will satisfy you, we know in our hearts, and all the rich people know, and all the people who have all the relationships, and all the famous people, they all know it doesn't satisfy. That's why they're still searching too. And each one of these things is tricky. Each of these things, money, fame, relationships, power, they're tricky because like a drug, it gives you that high, it gives you that feeling of value, worth, and importance the first time. And then you come back the next day and you have to just go a little bit further to get that high. And a little bit more until days go by, months go by, years go by, and it does not satisfy your soul. Nothing does. It's just like the drug. Whatever drug of your choice, it doesn't satisfy. And your soul craves more and more until you overdose and crash on the numbness of overstimulation. And then life is just worthless. What do I... I've tried money, I've tried fame, sex, relationship, parties, everything, and none of it fixes this. And in that quiet moment, you just might hear that still small voice of Jesus saying, I told you so. I told you so. Or at least you might now that you've heard this message. But he also says, I'll satisfy you if you ask me. I'll give it to you. In John chapter 7, a little bit later, in the book of John, they were having this great feast in Jerusalem, and it was a day where they would pour out water, and they would run down the steps of the temple. And he stood up, it says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, and Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, but Jesus, uh, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this life can have purpose and meaning. This life can be redeemed. This life can be saved. And that's the first promise that we're looking at that Jesus made that we can believe. The second one, not only can this life be saved, but so can the next one. Our eternal life. His promise to give us eternal life. Look at John chapter 3, verse 15. He says, this promise, I love this promise, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn this world, but that through the, him it might be saved. So Jesus promised that believing in him and trusting him will result in the gift of eternal life. That no matter who you are or what you've done, there are no limitations, exclusions, or term limits especially if you're a sinner. So is there anyone in here that's a sinner? Amen. 
The answer is yes. And because we're sinners, we need a Savior to save us from our sin. And if you didn't need a Savior, then Jesus should have found some other job because this one had some crazy prerequisites. Can you imagine the monster.com or LinkedIn job description for what God, the Father asked Jesus to do? Wanted. Savior for all mankind. Must be blameless in every way and willing to offer your body and soul as a substitute and just punishment for every single dirty, rotten sinner to ever live. These people can't do anything to save themselves or help you. In fact, they'll probably torture you and nail you to a cross. Basically, you need to be God because this is going to take a miracle. See, we don't deserve this eternal life, but it is what we were created for. But that road was cut off long ago in our life by sin. We took an exit off that highway long ago. But this is what Jesus promises to us, eternal life. It's available to you and me and every human being alive right now. And all this is because of the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead proves a, a lot of things, but I'm going to give you two things that it proves for us right now, today, in our lives, in Merrill Middle School in 2014. It's because of the resurrection that we can believe his promises. It validates his words. We can have his living water. He can satisfy your life today. And number two, he can give you eternal life. Those two promises that we looked at. It validates those words. And number two, what the resurrection does, it proves that his sacrifice, his substitution, his death for us was accepted by God. And that's the thing. As I was growing up, I went to church on Easter and I learned about Easter and I said, I, I can understand why Jesus died on the cross. I know why that's important. Okay, I get it. But I really struggled with understanding what the resurrection was all about. Why did he have to rise from the dead? And why did my pastor always say, it's the most important thing in the world. You've got to believe in the resurrection. I didn't understand why. And as I grew, the Lord taught me that it was because it meant that his, his sacrifice, his death, worked. That his death on the cross was accepted by the Father. See, God could have said, that's not enough. You've got to be better, Jesus. You could have done more, Jesus. It's not good enough for me. I mean, have you seen what these people have done? God the Father could have said that. Have you seen the way they've abused and the way they've lied and cheated and stole and murdered? He could have said, nothing is enough. But Jesus marched in and laid down his life before the Lord. And he said, it is finished. It is enough. It is done. And the Father said, you're right. Here's your life back. And so Jesus rose from the dead, showing that every single one of us could rise the same way. And if it was good enough for the Father, I ask you this question, is it good enough for you? If it was good enough for the most holy, perfect, righteous being in the entire 
universe, God himself. And he was like, yeah, Jesus, you rock. You did it. Then is it good enough for you? You know, we all stand before God at the end of our lives and we'll be judged. And not a single one of us will be able to stand and say, I've never sinned. Which, unfortunately, is the standard for admission for heaven to heaven. And this great unbiblical deception that's out there says you just have to be good enough and have enough good works to outweigh your bad works. And people out there think this way, and it's so wrong. If, 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 it was, if that's the way it was, then Jesus did not have to die. Because you, he could have just said, you try, you try hard enough, you didn't try hard enough, heaven, hell, done. But the problem is, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this stack of people would have been everyone, and this would have been no one. And God loves us too much for that. He wanted to save people. So the only alternative, alternative excuse me, to heaven, the only other destination, it's not a good one. It's hell. And I don't want to go there, and I don't think you do either. But as many of you know, there will be many of us who will be received into heaven. Many of the people in this room, when you die, God's going to say, welcome. Why? Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Although it's true that we all sin, which we just talked about, and that perfection is required to be with God in heaven, God knew all this and he provided a solution, a salvation, a substitute, a savior. And in our state of sinful rebellion, when we were still sinners, which maybe you just see as wandering or finding your own path, but God calls it rebellion, God showed you how much, in that state, God showed you how much he cares for you by sending Jesus to die as your substitute on the cross. That was our penalty. That was our pain. That was our death. Not just physical death, but the spiritual separation from God and God's wrath being poured out upon Jesus. Jesus endured it all for us. And this is where it gets personal for you and for me. Because Romans 10.9 says, If you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you trust in Jesus alone and what he did on the cross exclusively, God says, you won't be ashamed of it. You know, but there's people out there that, well, Jesus is all right. Jesus is all right with me. But I still think, you know, there's so many other things out there and other things. And Jesus isn't about that. He says, it's got to be me and me alone in your life. I offer you this gift free of charge, free of anything, except I, I need all of your heart. I want it all. Your life has been bought with a price. The world says it's all about being true to who you are. Do what you want to do. That's a big popular thing out there right now. And God would say the same thing. If, you're, if you truly believe in my son... Start talking about it. Confess that you believe and you will have assurance of what's in your heart. You'll know that you're saved. Not only will I know if you tell me that you believe, but you'll know. But if you, if you keep it bottled up inside, 
You know, th- this moment may pass. This day may pass. You say, yeah, I thought maybe I believed, but I kind of didn't do anything about it. I never really confessed to God or anyone. I just, I just thought about it. And then it starts to fade, and you don't know how long he knocks on the door of your heart like he is today. And so look at verse 13 of Romans chapter 10. It says, Forever, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's open to everybody today to call on his name in repentance. Ah, there you go. I knew he was going to say that. I knew he would say that nasty word, repent. If any word ever in this world has gotten a nasty reputation or a bad reputation, it's that one. It's actually the most beautiful word, but this world thinks if you tell them that they're wrong, that you have just crossed over a line of, oh my gosh, you're the meanest person in the world. You're not tolerant. And yet God says, you've got to repent. And as we close our time together, I'm going to ask the, the band to come back up here. And, uh, and as we get ready to sing our, our last song, would you look with me at what the Bible says real quick about repentance, about what that word means? In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, and so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want refreshing? Do you want that living water that we talked about that never runs dry? Do you want your sins blotted out? These are good Great, amazing consequences of repenting. You know, it's just a change of mind, actually. Repentance means, literally, to say the same thing about. And so, when we're repenting, we're saying, I used to be free to serve myself, but now I've been freed from myself, and I'm going to serve God. I'm going to say the same thing. So if God says this is a sin, then I'm going to say that's a sin. If God says I need to do this, I'm going to do this. If God says repent and be baptized, I'm going to repent and be baptized. It's agreeing with God and His Spirit. And you know what? It's kind of easy to do right now in this place because the Holy Spirit is drawing every single one of us. The Holy Spirit is working. We've been asking Him to and He responds. He will. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, Truly, these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. This is the time for you to respond. Maybe this is the first day you've ever heard all this that Jesus has done for you, and you're just like, Yeah, I agree. I I see what Jesus did. And these times of ignorance, this time you didn't know about it, God is going to overlook it. God's going to, he's going to forgive. But from this day forward, every single person in here, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to make it this way, but all of you will know the truth. 
that you're called to repent. You're called to agree with him. Stop fighting him. We don't have to fight him. We're called to agree with him. You know, we're talking about this miracle of resurrection, and maybe you actually do believe in that miracle of resurrection. But will you turn away from your sin and say, I've been wrong. My way has not worked. I know I have sinned, and I need a Savior. Will you trust in Jesus alone to be the substitution on your cross that you deserved and commit your life to following him? It's your time to have peace with God. It's your time to know that you're forgiven. It's your time to come to the grace of Jesus and experience it. Let's pray. As I pray, would would you all stand with me? Jesus, I pray for every single one of the hearts in this room. Lord, I I pray that you would call them and that you would wash many clean with your blood today. Jesus, we know beyond any shadow of doubt that you love us. You've gone through so much to prove your love. But Lord, today we demonstrate how much you've done to forgive us so that we could have your love, so we can know your love and experience your love. And if you, anyone in here, if you would like to repent of your sins and trust Jesus alone for your salvation, please pray with me right now. There's no better time than right now to, to know that you're right with God. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not repeating these words that saves you. It's only if you mean it from your heart. But I'm going to pray now and I invite you to repeat after me. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are God's Son and you are God yourself. And that you gave your life as a ransom and substitute for my own. I confess all my sin to you and ask for your forgiveness. I repent of my lifelong commitment to sin and I commit to follow you all of my life. I surrender all to you. Please come into my life And fill me with your Holy Spirit. According to Jesus and the word of God, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? I just would like to be the first to welcome you into the family of God. And everyone is going to clap really loud for you right now because you guys... The Lord has worked powerful miracles today. And so I would invite you to, after we sing this song, and, and Lonnie's going to close us here, after we sing, I, w- I would just want you to come up and just talk to me for just a minute because I want to encourage you. And I, and, uh, you know, I want to give you one of these and, and just get your name and number so that I could follow up with you and encourage you. Now, I'm going to say one more thing.
For all of you that already are believers, all you cheerers and people who are excited right now because the angels are rejoicing, knowing that people have been forgiven and come into a relationship with God. For all of you, you know, I, I knew about the resurrection for many years before I experienced it in my life. See, God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to each one of us every day to fix your life. And it doesn't come by trying harder. It comes only by trusting and humbling yourself before God and being in the Word of God. Read your Bible. If it's your first day believing and you want to know what you need to do, read your Bible. If it's your millionth day of believing and you're 90 years old and you've been following the Lord, you know what you need to do? Read your Bible. That's right. This is it. This is our life. This is the source. This is where we get our life from. And I implore you, I beg you, read your Bible every day. You know, I I show this up there and I feel like sometimes people are like, yeah, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Because I was like that for so long. But read with me and see what God does in our life. A couple days ago, we read David and Goliath, and, and it was an awesome day. Danny and I were out there, and we were just like, let's see what God does for us. The Word of God is living and active in our lives, and I just I pray you would see how wonderful it is. So if you said that prayer again, please come after the song and just come talk with me for a minute. I just want to encourage you and everyone else. God bless you guys. Let's sing this last song and rejoice so much in what God is doing in Denver. <laughs>